Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and we are one week away from the opening of Pittsburgh Penguins training camp. We have a lot to get to today, of course, but before we get into that, there are Penguins that are going to be on the ice and an organized practice later this afternoon at UPMC Lemieux Complex. The prospects that are participating in the prospect challenge up in Buffalo will be taking the ice for a practice this afternoon at UPMC Lemieux Complex. It's exciting because guys like Sam Poulin will be there. Rookie Braden Yeager, first round pick. Owen Pickering will be there, not going to be on the ice. But there's going to be a lot of guys. Joel Blongfist as well should be out on the ice. So it's an exciting day for hockey because organized team activities are officially beginning today with the opening of training camp just seven days out. It's all starting to kick off. It's finally all kind of here. Uh, like I said, it's just the prospect stuff. And for better or worse, I said this last episode, we get professional hockey in a way in a little over 24 hours. So there's something to keep an eye on there. These young kids are... Getting, for some of them, it's the start of a very important couple of days, a very important couple of weeks for them. Uh, and you, the names you just listed right there, a few keys to that uh, importance. Poulin, Blomquist, those two come to mind specifically um, as guys that uh, have a bright future and just need to take advantage of it. Poulin specifically mm-hmm. with taking advantage of it in his redemption arc of this Pre, this challenge, this prospect challenge, this and this training camp preseason, uh, it'll be big for him. He's a someone you should, everyone should be keeping an eye on. He's certainly a candidate to make a midseason call up and try to stick in the NHL this season. But before we talk a little bit more about training camp, we're going to talk about the third line left wing battle as we start to really zero in on some of the bigger camp battles that are going to take place up there in Cranberry. I want to talk to you about something you mentioned on Tuesday's episode. You said, yeah, the Penguins, they had a log jam last year, they have a long jam again this year. And I said, whoa, 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 what? You think that it's still a log jam. So let's get into that right now. Last year, the, quote, defensive logjam was one of the biggest threads throughout the entirety of the Pittsburgh Penguins season. Again, you mentioned on Tuesday you believe it's still there. Why is that? I think it's still there just based on the sheer amount of names 
I think last year it was a logjam due to, well, everyone that uh, can play defense is NHL caliber, but also, uh, you know, has their own issues. I'm trying to remember how it was last year. There was just a ton of names that could very easily crack the NHL roster, and none of them were standout over the top. There was Chris Letang and then everybody else. P.O. Joseph for a little while, but... Um, we weren't giving him the faith of more than just that third line role. Uh, whereas this year, there's the obvious top four. We have Chris Letang, Ryan Grace, one, two. Uh, Eric Carlson joins as the solid elite uh, offensive defenseman on hopefully the second line. And Marcus Patterson, who's having himself, uh, he's entering his prime years. And this is you know, going to be a great year for him. And the third line becomes P.O. Joseph. Good, because he earned it last year. And an open spot for, like like the forward group, a ton of names to take. A ton of names to battle for. And that includes guys like Chad Ruedel. You can throw Ty Smith in that conversation. Mark Pissick specifically. Libor um, Hayek's a left shot, but, you know, is battling for uh, some sort of contract. And that's even on both sides. This is where it comes down to, is the fact that Kyle Dubas has made so many signings both on forward and offense through regular contract or PTO that uh, there's going to be no shortage of battles within the defense either. Uh, To continue rolling down the list, Ryan Shea from the Dallas minor league system could do something, you never know. Uh, Will Butcher, believe is injured. I don't know where I saw that or read that somewhere. Uh, So that's something to look for. Mark Friedman's still in the system. uh, And who knows if anyone else steps up, so... There's just a lot of names, and I think that's kind of where my thought process of, well, you're going to be axing somebody you weren't expecting to one point or another on the defensive core. Yeah, when I look at this, though, you know, I I get your point. There's still a lot of names there. There is over 10 or 11 guys that you could realistically see getting some playing time at the NHL level this season. So I understand where you're coming from in that aspect. But here is why I believe it's not, it's not the same. I, I think we can both agree it's not the same, but I don't think it's considered a logjam. I think, for one, it's because of the guy that's sitting in the big chair. Last year, Ron Hextall is a guy that does not like to make a lot of roster moves. He does not like to change the status quo. So it, it was a logjam partially because you knew he wasn't going to change very much. And at the end of the day, the only thing he changed is he added another name when he brought in Dmitry Kulikov at the trade deadline. Kyle Dubas has already mentioned. He said, if somebody is performing better... They're going to stay up here, even if I have to send somebody else through waivers. Now, yes, you mentioned it. The top four are the top four. They are unquestioned, unchallenged, and they are going to be set in stone as the top four defensemen. And then you got the two young guys in Joseph and Smith. I wouldn't say P.O. Joseph's position is really set in stone. I would say that if Ty Smith outperforms him this year, there is a good chance that Ty Smith starts over a guy like P.O. Joseph this season. But here's the thing. I do expect P.O. Joseph to be very, very good good this season. I expect him to take a step forward from where he was last season, and I expect him to earn a spot on the opening night roster. But with Ty Smith, he could either perform better, and they could say, you know what, we need to keep you at the very least up at the NHL level, or he could perform better than the guys on the right side. I think there's a lot more flow than there was last season, because last season you looked at Jeff Petrie, six-plus million-dollar contract up there on the second line, can't move him anywhere. Jan Ruda, three-year, $2.75 million contract. You can't really move him. You can't send him down, despite some of his performances. You had Brian Dumlin, who 
wasn't horrible, would have been a fine third line defender, but he was forced to be on the top line in the top pairing because there was, you know, I mean, Marcus Pedersen could have done it, but then you have again, a subpar second pairing defenseman and Brian Dumoulin for $4 million that you can't move. And then at the end of the day, they bring in Kulikov, who they weren't going to send down anyway. You had so many big contracts, not to mention Latang and Pedersen are both $4 million plus. You had so many big contracts and such an expensive blue line that you only really had space for P.O. Joseph and one other guy that made under a million dollars. And that was the wiggle room you had. Whereas this year, yes, it's a top four. But I would argue you have three spots of wiggle room. P.O. Joseph's spot is not solidified. He has to go out there and earn it. That's what Kyle Dubas has done this offseason. The right third pairing right side defenseman is the same thing. Chad Ruweedle probably gets penciled in there to start. But like you mentioned, Mark Pesic can take over that role. Mark Friedman could take over that role. Beware of the marks, I guess. And then also, you, you look at Ty Smith as a guy that everybody has pretty high hopes for. He could take over that role. So I don't think there's a logjam simply because there's more maneuverability for this blue line this season. And while there are a lot of names, they're all in the same playing field when it comes to price tag. And they're all easily moved out if they're not performing well. Say Will Butcher comes out of nowhere. And if he is injured, he, he gets healthy and he comes out of nowhere and he's great. And you're saying, okay, he's going to power play the second He's going to quarterback the second power play. He's going to be a great third-pairing defenseman. You can put him up there because there's not $4 million or a $2.75 million guy sitting on the right side that you know you're not going to be able to move anywhere else. Yeah, a lot of it is also a money thing when it comes to this uh, conversation. Uh, I think another thing that I noticed when it comes to the battle between uh, Ty Smith and P.O. Joseph that is very interesting. And take ESPN projections for what you will. Uh, they think Eric Carlson's going to lead the team at points. As optimistic as that is, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. But but come it's on, it's not something I would be projecting. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's, something I would be projecting. Uh, flipping through some of the ESPN projections, as a little sidebar here, uh, you could tell there was very little effort put into most of them. Uh, yeah, you sent me something Josh Joris was still somehow yes. a member of the Penguins in that. He hasn't played for the Penguins organization I, in, what, three years, four years, five at years? At least. And there was another name on there. Who, the name is escaping me now. So take the ESPN yeah. projections for what you will. But an interesting note that I took from them, aside from the Eric Carlson leading the team of points, um, was that P.O. Joseph was not projected, and they didn't do full team projections for the Penguins. P.O. Joseph was not really projected to do anything. It, there was just kind of, here were his stats from 2023, and then nothing for the upcoming season. There was just a bunch of dashes. Whereas mm. Ty Smith, they had his you know 22-23 stats, nine games, uh, four points, I think it was. And then this upcoming season, they had him at a full season, 60-some games, 20-some points. So ESPN believes Ty Smith might win that battle. And make and make the roster. I know it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Take it for what you will. It also yeah. ranked uh, like the top scores in the league by points, and it was not in correct order. Roman Yossi very clearly had fifty some points and was sitting ahead of Carlson. Don't know how the whole ESPN thing works, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, it is what it is. But it is still a reputable reputable thing to say. They're giving Ty Smith the upper hand already. They're already saying this yeah. guy's going to be the one that in hindsight, makes the lineup and produces 20-some points at a pretty good level. Yeah, I, I would, I would well, for one, ESPN is the uh, rights holder of the NHL, so they 
better get their crap together a little bit more. I mean, we've been saying this for a while now. And, and number two, regardless of it's ESPN or not, National outlets when it comes to projecting, you know, bottom of the lineup players, guys like Ty Smith, who's going to be fighting for a roster spot, guys like P.O. Joseph, who's going to be fighting for a roster spot. They're not always fully connected right. to every team, which is it's hard to do. If you've ever worked in a national capacity in sports, you understand that it's hard to really get into the nitty gritty on all 32 or 31 or 30 teams, depending on what sport you follow. So I'm not going to hold that against them. But, you know, the Josh Joris thing is kind of like, all right, you know. That was kind of a little ridiculous, but also like, I, I don't know. You mentioned something was that that it was out of order with the the point projections. I don't know. I don't, it, unless I was missing it's something. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't want to get on them too much about that, but like again, just to shed a little light on it, it is hard to really project out at all, let alone for guys that you don't even know are going to make the lineup in a, in a Ty Smith or in a in a P.O. Joseph. But it is intriguing that P.O. Joseph they just said, you know what? Uh, I don't think we need to project for that guy. I I think the guy that you know, didn't play in the NHL last year. That's the guy we should do projections for. That's a, it's an intriguing decision yeah. made by the uh, worldwide leader in sports. And I figured out the order it was in. So the points are out of order, but that's because I'm looking at fantasy rank. But ah. that's still a little interesting note that even when it comes to, because a lot of people, a lot of outlets will do it. They'll set their projections and then set it to fantasy rankings, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um it's still important to note that Ty Smith, again, had these fantasy projections and P.O. Joseph didn't. So that's kind of the yeah. point that I was getting at. But again, the ESPN thing, weird, not knowing the full roster of Josh Juris, somebody else, and I believe one of the recent uh, prospects that decided to just dip out. Um, yeah, it was Bjorkvist. Bjorkvist was also still listed somewhere. Interesting thing. So yeah. was Brian Boyle, but at least that one I could kind of understand. <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioning that it was fantasy projections makes a little bit more sense because Ty Smith is considered to be a much more offensive defenseman and probably a better option in fantasy than a P.O. Joseph. But uh, before we go to our next segment, I do want to ask you, do you think this defense is going to be better or worse this year than it was last? I think it'll be better. It'll be far better. Uh, When it comes to scoring, definitely. That's what the Eric Carlson aspect is, is here for. We thought... Uh, Jeff Petrie was supposed to bring us this mix of offense and also some grittiness. Uh, I mean, he brought those things, but it just wasn't at the level we wanted. And it was disappointing considering he was the highest paid defenseman on the team. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now it's Eric Carlson brought in and we know what he's going to bring. It's offense and not much defense and $10 million. We'll see how it all goes with the $10 million part. But for now, we're expecting elite level scoring. We should get that. Marcus Pedersen's entering another prime year. Should be a step up. That battle between P.O. Joseph and Ty Smith will be fun. Ryan Graves should be a step up from Brian Dumoulin. Uh, And we'll see who that sixth defenseman is. I think regardless of who that position goes to, this Penguins defense should be far better than it was last season. Mm-hmm. You say far better, I say miles better. So we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, more offensive production, no matter what. I mean, you bring in a guy like Eric Carlson, you're going to get more offensive production. Not to mention the fact that if you switch out last season, you had Jan Ruda, sometimes Chad Ruedel. If Ty Smith wins that battle, offensively, you're again, you're so far out ahead, the roadrunner is not going to catch up to you. But people talk about the defensive struggle on the right side, and you mentioned it. Eric Carlson's not going to bring a high level of defensive efficiency. But I do think they're still going to be better defensively for a few reasons. One, they got better slash faster in the bottom six in general. And they got better defensively. So I think you're going to get more help 
for your blue liners. And that's that's really point number one and the most important point. And two, I think when you look at the, the talent of the players that they brought in, and Eric Carlson, even a Ryan Graves, if you look at what P.O. Joseph and my expectations and my projections for the jump he's going to take in year number two with the full season under his belt now, the transition game is going to be a lot quicker. And that was a big issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. Petrie, Ruda, P.O. Joseph in his first stint there, Brian Dumlin sometimes, they struggled in the transition game. That put a lot of pressure on their defensive partners, on Marcus Pedersons, on Chris Letang's, and that forced turnovers that a lot of people held on them. It was partially on their D partners as well. Mm -hmm. I think the transition game is something that Kyle Dubas really went out and went after. He added Ryan Graves, who's a great stay-at-home defensive defenseman, but also a smart puck mover and really good in the transition game. And then, of course, Eric Carlson needs no you know, introduction. I think the quicker transition game is also going to aid the Penguins when it comes to their defending their own zone. I think mentioning Graves, that is a massive, you know, I can't understate enough, a massive upgrade over what Brian Dumlin brought to the Pittsburgh Penguins last season. Again, what was left for Dumlin was what he showed. Ryan Graves is in the prime of his career, hence the reason that he got the richest contract in free agency for any skater for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think the third pairing is always going to be the best available. Last year it was, well, Jan Ruda's making the money, so if Jan is healthy, he's in there. There were some games where Jan Ruda was not performing better than what you would have gotten from a Chad Ruedel, what you would have gotten from a Mark Friedman, what you would have gotten from a Ty Smith who only had nine games of NHL experience last year. The third pairing, because of the way Kyle Dubas is, is always going to be who is performing at their best right now is who's going to be in on that pairing. Not to mention that pairing is not going to get a lot of heavy lifting simply because of how many minutes the top two pairings are going to demand. But I do think when they're out there, it's going to be whoever is best prepared to go out there and help the Penguins win the game, which I can't say that was the case all the time last season. No, it was it was here are the guys. Here's how much money they make. You're going to feel good about putting that amount of money in the press box. And that's a question that always arises, and it's going to come up again this season when it comes to certain guys, i.e. Jeff Carter. Yeah, it's it's just gonna it's always a consistent question, and it's always the one that bugs me in my head when it when it's uh, situations like this. You're paying them that much, well, then figure something out if you're not going to play them. Or I always go back to that. Well, we just acquired this person. Why is he not going to make the team now? Just because yeah. there are so many other people as well, and this like there's different aspects going into this season that that changes my, that my line of thinking there. But it's still interesting to to think that at least last season, Jan Ruda being a healthy scratch, he's making how much money? He's a new signing. It doesn't make sense for a uh, just the price tag, but b the morale of the player too. I mean that's yeah part of it. It's <clears throat> um, hugely important. Plus just the amount of injuries that defense had last year and. Just, time missed Jan Ruda at one point was a first line defenseman it was <laughs> a struggle uh to for our defense to remain healthy uh, and yeah. if they could do that this year though definitely miles better yeah yeah so so I think that when people look at this Pittsburgh Penguins team that's the biggest question mark people are saying oh they're gonna have to boat race everybody it's gonna be you know 10 to 9 games or 8 to 7 games all the way around I think this team's gonna be a little bit better defensively uh, than a lot of people are giving them credit for. And I think that's also going to go to the fact that the goaltending is going to be improved from last year as well. Uh, but again, these are all projections. These guys haven't even all hit the ice on the same sheet of ice, as we should say, uh, together. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more in our next segment. Sidney Crosby went out to uh, Nevada 
to have some fun at the NHL media tour while his teammates are putting in the work back on the East Coast. We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Oh, the players are returning, Horwat. The captain, Sidney Crosby, is out in Nevada, but most of the Pittsburgh Penguins roster is back in Pittsburgh getting ready for the 2023-24 season. And I say most. Crosby's in Nevada. Latang is in Montreal? Question mark. Mm -hmm. Chris Letang practicing with the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously, there is not to mention, you know, obviously he's French Canadian and that was his team growing up and he's from that area. He's from Quebec. Also, his former agent is the general manager, Kent Hughes, of the Montreal Canadiens. So he wanted to get a little bit of work in before he came to Pittsburgh, uh, get some work with the Montreal Canadiens. It is strange, though, because I've never seen this before in my life. I've never seen anything like it where a player not only. It's one, th- yeah, guys skate together in the offseason all the time. I think that's one thing if it's just like a handful of guys or it's, you know, mid-July, maybe even August, uh, having that sort of little skate between two, three, four of them. This now, and I get captain skates are also informal. They're not official, anything like that, but there are coaches and trainers involved. It's a little bit. It, so it's very interesting that he was that Latang was not only there with a, another team, because that's the other part of it, is that he was still with another team. He couldn't at least wear a Penguin jersey. They just had to give him a blank red one. I thought it would have been even funnier if there was just a Canadian's logo on it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what you can and cannot do in that situation. It is in. It is off-season. It is informal. Nothing is NHL or team-mandated. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a picture out there. I've seen it. I don't know where it's from or what's or how it came about. There's a photo of Bobby Orr in a penguin sweater on the ice. Like and by sweater I mean <laughs> actual like crew neck sweater, not a jersey. Yeah. Uh, just saying, find that one. That's funny. But so like I wanna know <laughs> I, I don't wanna know anything actually. It's just so funny to <laughs> see this. I've never seen anything like it before. I wanna know if there's more of this that happens and we just miss it all the time. But- Potentially. I mean, really, at the end of the day, all it is is Latang didn't come back to Pittsburgh yet and he wanted to get a workout yeah. in. Yeah. And he And he called his he called his old agent, Kent Hughes, and he said, Hey, you mind if I come, you know, join the Habs and for a skate and just try to, you know, get geared up for the season? Probably. Kent Hughes is probably like, Yeah, sure, you made me a bunch of money over the past, you know, decade and a half. So yeah, sure, you could skate for a day with the Montreal Canadiens. Had a chat with Mike Matheson. Uh yeah. I'm trying to remember who else is on that. Who else is on the Canadians? It's a former Penguin. Uh, And Uh, no one's coming to mind. Mike Matheson. Mike Matheson. (laughs) That team is, this roster is wild, though. Uh, But yeah, just chatted with an old friend and said, you know what? I need uh, need some ice. I need a sheet. Just give me a blank jersey. I'll be there. I have the rest of my pads. Yeah. So as far as the, you know, the next part of where in the world are the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby is at the NHL Media Tour in Las Vegas, actually in Henderson, which is a little bit uh, southeast of Las Vegas. The captain entering his 19th season. Lord knows how many different media tours he's attended. I mean, we assume videos and podcasts are about to come out shortly of Sidney Crosby, all those 
those media events, the car wash that he goes through, talking to everybody, doing all of his best, you know, reciting of, of the, the mumbo jumbo garbage of, you know, yeah, it, it stung last year that we missed the playoffs. Our goal is to get back to the playoffs. Our goal is always to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, time's running out, all this stuff. I'm sure he, he has his spiel that he says to almost everybody. But uh, the one big story, because, you know, everybody crawled out of their cottages to go cover that event. Uh, but the one big story was how the NHL paired him and rookie phenom Connor Bedard. Penguins posted the picture of the two filming what I would imagine is a piece for opening night. Because clearly, everybody knows, 26 days from today, Penguins, Blackhawks should be. Connor Bedard still staying humble. He did it at the at the NHL draft. He said, if I'm lucky enough to make the roster, Connor, you should look at the roster. Uh, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to make the roster. He He's continuing his humble pie. If I make the roster, it would be cool to make my debut against Crosby and the Penguins in Pittsburgh. What did you think seeing those two, and how excited are you to see that matchup on the ice on October 10th? There will be no shortage of storylines going into that game. Oh, no. Like, it, putting even aside the <clears throat> Connor Bedard NHL debut, uh, we can tack on Eric Carlson's Penguin debut that, you know, all things go well during the offseason, or uh, preseason. That should be a huge note. Uh, the You brought it up, the idea of the revenge game from last season. I still like that a little bit. That's kind of mm -hmm. fun, the idea of the Blackhawks were the team that essentially, in a way, knocked the Penguins out of the playoffs. Um, and now, I, from what I remember, it's going to be a bit of a different roster for Chicago, but still the same crest on the front uh, that the Penguins will look to rebound from. And then you get into the Connor Bedard debut against uh, his one of his childhood idols. And in an interview with NHL.com, Bedard did mention that making <clears throat> excuse me his NHL debut against Crosby, and then threw in the other legends, threw in Malkin, Latang, and Carlson into that conversation. Uh, that'll be something special for him. It'll be something special for all of the fans. And you know what? It's the opening night of the season. Should be. <laughs> that that's much must watch hockey first game of the year uh the penguins are finding ways to still stay relevant i mean as the as the later years of the crossing malkin era have gone on you can tell that it's getting put in the back seat a little more as mcdavid takes over the world nathan mckinnon takes over uh in in colorado it's the, the fame is kind of fading for Pittsburgh, but this is a great way for them to stay in the spotlight. Adding Carlson helped a lot with it. And now we get the Connor Bedard NHL debut. Not even in Chicago, it's in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, that part surprises me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, Sidney Crosby made his NHL debut in Boston. This is true. I think McDavid started somewhere else, too. Yeah. And was Matthews in Ottawa? It was, was in that Ottawa when he scored four goals. Yeah. Yeah. What's like so now this now this becomes a, an NHL league question. What are you doing putting your big stars debuts on on away ice? That's weird. What do you mean? What are they doing? They're doing smart business because that's going to be a marketable game to watch. It's like, hey, it's his first debut, and then you can market. Oh, here's his home debut. First time he's skating out in front of his home fans. The savior. It's a it's a smart business practice. I actually think that's a good idea. You know, in business theory, yes, it is. And like when you think of it business wise, yeah, it is. Uh, but all just, about the green, baby. It is from a hockey standpoint, though. It's just weird. But yeah, I understand it. Yeah. But I want to get to this point because it's something that we can talk about 
closer to this game, obviously 26 days still, and I know that it's an 82-game season, but how important is the opening night game for the Pittsburgh Penguins? You mentioned the revenge angle. I'm sure the Pittsburgh Penguins don't care that much about that, considering they put themselves in that position over multiple games, not just when McKenzie Entwistle ended their career, ended their season and ended the streak. Um, he's still on the Blackhawks, by the way. But how important is this game outside of the revenge factor for the Pittsburgh Penguins, knowing that it is only one of 82? It's it's still super important. We, the Penguins, we've all agreed, need to get off on the right foot. They need to have a hot start. Um they need to do that without Jake Gensel as well. That's another storyline that I forgot about. Uh, it's going to be important that they get off on a hot enough start that game one, they're able to prove to themselves that, listen, Connor Bedard's going to be on this team. They have new uh, big names like Taylor Hall and uh, Corey Perry, but the Penguins still need to prove they're better than what's going to be a very bad team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be improved. They may have a better roster, and Connor Bedard should do great things, but they, the Chicago Blackhawks shouldn't be good. Um, no. So the Penguins need to prove that, they're, that they can beat these not great teams. Because they couldn't do that a lot last year. Saw it against Columbus, and yeah, the last game didn't matter. But it could have, and they still couldn't beat them. Uh, obviously the Chicago game. I'm trying to remember if there was any bad games they should have won. It's, you try and block out a lot of last season. Mm-hmm. Um. But there were some important games that the Penguins let slip away. This is one they can't let slip away because of the skill level of the team. Now, maybe Chicago has a complete turnaround and something just magically changes and they're a great team. Regardless, we don't know that yet. The Penguins need to go in guns a-blazing against the Blackhawks and show that they have the fire in them to get back to where they need to be and Mm -hmm. just put this sad sack of an organization (laughs) into its place just to start the season off. Yeah. And that's from a standpoint of just the Penguins should be better than the Blackhawks and you can't lose to teams that you should get wins against, especially if you're going to fight for a playoff spot and a very jam packed Eastern conference, which with a lot of teams that are hoping to get to the playoffs, uh, some like the Red Wings and the Buffalo Sabres uh, and even the Ottawa Senators are thinking that they're going to take that next step. So in order to stay ahead of those younger teams, you got to really win the games that are against teams that you would assume are going to be less talented. But I think even more so than that, just for the overall vibe of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, it's kind of a fresh feeling heading into this season. It's a new era with Kyle Dubas in in charge. You have fresh faces. Most of the lineup is overturned. You have Eric Carlson, and you have Riley Smith, and you have Ryan Graves, and you have everybody but Tristan Jari is different in net. So you have a lot of fresh faces, and it feels like an organization reborn. If you go out and lose to the Chicago Blackhawks, the team that really kind of put an end to that old era, that kind of put the uh, the stagger in the heart of the old era, if you come out in the new era and you still lose to that team, while yes, it is Connor Bedard, but it's still that same organization, it's still a lot of the same team, and it's still the team in the same position, it's important to get off on the right foot, and it's important to really kick off this new era and keep this vibe of the offseason rolling into the season, especially considering Game 2 is against the Washington Capitals in Washington. You want to head into that first rivalry game, that first Metropolitan Division game where the Penguins need to be better. They need to be better against the Metropolitan Division this season. You want to head into that 
with the vibe of the offseason still going strong, and that's going to be important to get off to a good start on national television, mind you, mm-hmm. against Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks. There's another guy that Crosby was uh, seen taking pictures with at media tour, by the way, was Tom Wilson. Under, yeah. Underratedly, the Washington Capitals' Twitter account is honestly phenomenal. Even... <laughs> Even from a couple years ago, when they had that weird photo, to, that weird photo of uh, <clears throat> Tom Wilson and the and the meme that was going around at the time with the uh-huh. head case thing, even aside, aside from that being deleted and that being a weird moment, uh, Washington Capitals Twitter is great and making fun of Patrick Mahomes along the way in this most recent one, good stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's you're right about that as well. Keeping the vibes up from the off season that. Everyone feels better about this team. Everyone feels better about the Penguins heading into this season. Are they astronomically better? We'll find out. As of right now, we all know they are at least taking steps in the right direction. And, you know, the the Capitals might not be a better team, but they could be a weird X factor in this, uh, in the Metropolitan Division. So, getting an early couple of wins against the Blackhawks, who aren't supposed to be good, and then the Capitals, who are, regardless of the fading on the national stage for the two teams, still one of the biggest rivalries uh, in the league. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've seen in the past, Penguins-Flyers particularly is the main example. Even if the teams have a discrepancy in talent, the rivalry has a way of kind of melding those teams together and bringing those games closer. So it's going to be an interesting start to the season for the Penguins. You have Connor Bedard, then you have Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Important for them to get off to a hot start. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive deep into a camp battle, the battle for the third-line left-wing position for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We're a week away from the opening of Pittsburgh Penguins training camp. And with that, we want to dive a little bit deeper into some of these training camp battles, position by position. The one that I feel like is sneakily one of the most important position battles is third line left wing. Because when you look at center on the third line, it's heavily expected that Lars Eller has already had that spot penciled in. It's just a matter of if he comes out and looks like the Penguins expect him to look. And even third-line right wing, I think there are less candidates. But third-line left wing is a position where the Penguins could go in multiple different directions. They could go with a checking decision, somebody that's going to be more of a big body, somebody that's going to be more physical, somebody that's going to be more defensively minded. Or they could really lean more towards the offensive side of the puck with that position and hope to get a little bit more scoring out of that position this season. So let's look at that position. A few candidates that I think are starting around the top for that particular position. Drew O'Connor, Rem Pitlick, Matt Nieto. Do you think that there's anybody else that really is in the favorites category for that position, or do you think it's those three? Those three are the favorites. Uh, Anyone else would kind of be uh, one of those long shots, outside chances guys, just because of A, the money, and B, the uh, commitment to two of them already in uh, O'Connor and Nieto, whereas Rem Pitlick, I mean, yeah, he was... I don't want to say he's going to be treated as a throw into the Carlson trade, but he just might be. Um, but well, here's the thing, too. But a million dollars is a lot to do that with. Yeah, but also, let, let's not forget, sometimes throw-ins end up being the better parts of the deal. I mean, we just talked about a month ago about Pascal Dupuis. He ended up, in the long run, being a more pivotal piece for the Pittsburgh Penguins 
than Marion Hosa ever was. I Jared mean, maybe McCann. that. Yeah, Jared McCann was a throw in on that deal. Sometimes it's the guys that are just sneakily thrown in there. There's a reason they were included in that trade. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, maybe Rem Pitlick's somebody to watch out for. I, th- I think he has a good shot at, at earning that spot. And, you know, if, if we asked our friend of the show who was on the show last Thursday, uh, State of Hoppy, he thinks Rem Pitlick has a shot at really earning that spot to take Jake Gensel's position for the first five <laughs> games of the season. And I don't hate that either. It's absolutely a, an opportunity for a guy like Rem Pitlick to prove his worth in the lineup. He can play all three positions too, so he's got that under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for the left wing start, yeah, I think uh, Rem Pitlick is an easy option and absolutely part of the front runner. I just kind of threw in the he's a throw in because, I mean, in the grand scheme of the trade was for Eric Carlson, and this just just yeah. this just becomes the conversation of he was the throw in, and we'll see where it goes from there. Um, but yeah, I like he's definitely a front runner for this competition as well. Those it's Nieto, O'Connor, Pitlick, those three. Mm-hmm. And then the other name that I want to throw in here, somebody that I think I wouldn't say that he really, you know, he could get that spot alongside Sidney Crosby, but I really think that if he's going to have any success this season, Andreas Janssen is going to slot into this particular position for the Pittsburgh Penguins. If he's going to find consistent playing time, it's going to be in this particular position because I don't see him. I know he has to bounce back and I know his rookie year was great with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't see him being a top six guy for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think he is really a bottom six guy at this stage of his career, but I don't see him as a fourth liner. Similar to like Rem Pitlick. I don't see Rem Pitlick being a fourth liner for the Penguins team because I just don't think the fourth line is going to be built that way. I think Matt Nieto probably slots in at the fourth line, to be completely honest. But if he comes out and outperforms guys like Drew O'Connor, Rem Pitlick, and Andreas Janssen, Nieto could get that. But I do think Janssen gets into that mix in camp. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's one of those long shot options. But yeah, he should be um, right up there as that sort of... uh, depth option for this battle. I don't know where I was going with the converse, with that sense, but that's he's absolutely a name that can be in the competition and in the battle and will at least at bare minimum push everyone else to be better in the in the lineup. That's you know, why you bring in so many depth options. That's why you bring in so many uh, personnel behind your obvious choices. I mean, if you want to dig even a little deeper, I mean, Redeem Zahorna could fight for a spot like that. You could throw the prospects in there if you really wanted to, but yeah, uh, those would be the even longer shots, right? I mean, <clears throat> if you're breaking it down into tiers, you have your front runners, your long shots, and then just the surprises, I'd say. So mm-hmm. there's plenty of options to roll with. I think, you know, Andreas Janssen could be absolutely an underrated, uh, important piece to A, this offseason, but also be just this full season going forward. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's really intriguing because a lot of these guys that Kyle Dubas brought in are like are very Mike Sullivan mold. They're position flexible. They can play left or right. Some of them can play center. Actually, a, a good portion of them can all play center as well. So it's really intriguing because I, I try to narrow it down, and I think that it's probably going to be these four. But then you mention, you know, Miners guys, Valtteri Pustin, his name has been brought up a couple different times. How do they view Sam Poulin? Is he viewed more as a winger or a center at this stage of his career? So it really does become 
you know, we have to wait and see till next week. We have to wait and see who gets to go out there and play alongside Lars Eller. That's going to be our only real indicator of who the Penguins are thinking early in camp is going to be on that third line or getting the first crack at that third line. Because as we know, the first stages of camp, when they split the teams up because they have so many players up, sometimes you get some weird combinations. Last year, Valtteri Pustinen alongside Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby. Ricard Raquel didn't practice with Crosby really at all for the first two weeks of camp. And then he starts the season with him. So we'll have to wait and see who Lars Eller gets paired with if they are indeed operating the same way, which I would imagine Mike Sullivan will considering it's the way he really likes to deploy his lines. He likes pairs. He likes to sit up the pairs. So who's going to be paired with Lars Eller? And that's going to be the big thing. If it's a right winger, then we're going to have to wait till later in camp to get our answer to who is really the leader in the clubhouse for this third line left wing position. But if it's a left winger, it gives us an idea of who they like in that spot early on. And I really think it could be any of these guys. It truly could be. It's, it's broken down into tiers. Yeah. But it's, and still, they're all possible tiers. It's not like there's just yeah. the absolute no chance tier here. It's, mm-hmm. like we said, front runners, long shots, and surprises. Those are all viable yeah. options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now here's the the one guy that we really didn't discuss much. Uh, we talked about him a lot during the offseason because he basically had two weeks where he was the only piece of news we knew was coming along, and that's Drew O'Connor. I would say he's probably the le- my favorite, at least, to, to win this spot because... Last year, you saw him get the opportunity to start in the third line a couple of different games. He does a lot of the things that Mike Sullivan likes to see him do. And then he went out and had a really good showing at the World Championships for Team USA when he's playing center, no less. So I think that the ability for Sullivan and Kyle Dubas to see him perform that well on that stage, while understandably it's not best on best, not everybody's out there, but to perform that well for Team USA as somebody that has been viewed for the majority of his career as just a fourth-line player, I think that might give him an opportunity to bump up, but I also don't want to be doing the same thing I did with Teddy Bluger last season, where I said, hey, he's a third-liner, he's a third-liner, he's a third-liner, then he comes out and has his worst season. So I'm not trying to put that pressure on Drew O'Connor, but I do think that this is the year, you know, do or don't, this is the year you figure out whether or not he can move up into the middle six for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I think so too. It's, um, I don't know about second line being too much of an option even in the future but it's still a possibility you never know it's just the way these players grow over time uh but you're right it's just it sounds like put up or shut up time when it comes to finding out who you are as an nhl player he's it's not like he's gonna be dropped from the team it's not like he's gonna be cut and completely left in the wind no he's gonna just learn his role that's all it is it's all bluger had to do last year uh, we were expecting this, 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 and this, and we got none of it, but we at least knew his role, which yeah. was that depth piece. Whereas now O'Connor, we're not going to lay out the expectations because we don't want to make that same mistake again, but the it's time for him to learn who he is going to be. And yeah, a third, a third line option could be uh, good for him, good solid choice for the team, and who knows what playing alongside someone brand new like Lars Eller can bring to... Uh, a play like Drew O'Connor and on the right side, if even if that's someone brand new, uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be quite interesting to see how things shape out and where things land. Uh, Drew O'Connor absolutely could also just surprise everybody. There's also that. There's also the aspect yeah. of suddenly they're this kind of player. Well, good. Mm-hmm. It's That's the great thing about speculating and the preseason. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we'll have to talk about who's going to be on the right side there. We'll do that on Tuesday's episode, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast from. Make sure you subscribe, turn on notifications, leave a review, or you could watch us on Inside the Penguins on YouTube. Again, thank you to everybody who has subscribed over there. We just hit 2,000 subscribers on the YouTube, and we have some nice surprises coming up for you as the season gets underway. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next time. We'll be right back.